Dear Lord, we thank You so much for the cup of the new covenant that gives life, that gives forgiveness, that brings salvation. And Lord, we give You thanks and praise for the love that You have shown us, for the kindness and the favor that You have granted. And Lord, we ask this morning that You would open the eyes of our hearts that we might receive from You. Give us understanding. and Give us clarity. And Lord, I pray that uh, through the reading of Your Word, in the speaking of Your Word, that transformation would come about in each of our lives as we connect to a true and living God. And we ask all these things according to Your riches and glory through Christ Jesus, our Savior. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Samuel as we continue this process through the book of 1 Samuel. As I said, we're going to be uh, taking selected stories. We've already looked at the person of Hannah. And Hannah was a woman who cried out to God uh, for a child and promised to commit that child to God's service and literally to take him to the temple and let him live out his days at the temple. His name was Samuel. God granted that request and Samuel literally grew up in the temple at Shiloh. And Samuel became the last judge of Israel and the first official prophet, at least in the sense of an office, the office of prophet. There were those who prophesied before, but we have Samuel defined as the first uh, official prophet. And then we also see Samuel as a priest. He is the voice of God for the nation of Israel during this time. And we see in chapter 9 and chapter 8 and chapter 9, the people began to cry out that they want a king. They've been ruled by judges up to this point. It's a theocracy. So God is, uh, is supposed to be the one who leads and guides them both politically and spiritually. But they cry out and they say, we want a king just like all the other nations. We want to be just like all the other tribes around us. And so they ask for a king. And God brings this petition, excuse me, Samuel brings this petition before God Almighty. And God says, okay, we will give them what they want. Uh, they've not rejected you, Samuel, they're rejecting me. So we will give them a king. So Saul is chosen. And Saul starts off very well, very strong. Matter of fact, he's such a humble guy in chapter 9 and in verse 21 that the Bible tells us that he's hiding. Basically, hiding behind the gear because he doesn't want to come out front when it's time to kind of recognize him as the one who will now lead the countrymen. And so we see him as a pretty humble guy. The Bible also tells us in chapter 9, verse 1 and 2, that he not only is he a tall guy, taller than any of those in his tribe, taller than anyone in the nation of Israel, but he's also a good-looking guy. So ladies, here's the, he's the ultimate man. He's tall, he's good-looking, and he's humble. I mean, it's everything you could want. Doesn't he look like the guy that should be the king? And so we continue in that chapter, and, and here we are. We've got Saul as king. We're like the other countries. Matter of fact, we've got a big king. We've got a good-looking king. And we've got a, a king with a good heart. It's good to have a king, the people think. And so, sure enough, he has an opportunity to come to the front because one of the tribes began to be oppressed and attacked. And so he calls on all of those, the nation of Israel, to come together. And so they come together and they go and they attack the Philistines and they find victory. So here he is now, a strong leader, a man of courage. I mean, a good guy. The guy that we want to be like. The guy that we would look to. Here he is, King Saul. But... It doesn't stay like that. We see 
as that occurs through chapter 11, there's some uh, admonishments that are given to him and to the nation of Israel, the importance of following God, of listening to his voice. And then we come to chapter 13, and King Saul, at this point, decides that maybe it's the power, maybe it's the success, maybe it's all the voices telling him how wonderful he is, but he comes to the place where he decides that he's going to take matters in his own hands. He's getting ready to go into battle, and Samuel specifically tells him, I want you to wait seven days, and then I'm going to come, and I'm going to offer a sacrifice as only the priest can do before God Almighty, before we go into battle. And so he tells Saul to wait, but Saul gets there, and he's at Gilgal, and he's, he's waiting, but you know what happens? Saul gets impatient. Men start to scatter. He gets scared. And so he goes and he offers the sacrifice himself, which can only be done by the priest. He knew the Word of God. He knew the instruction of Samuel, the voice of God, the prophet and the judge, but he decides to take manners into his own hands. And when he does this, Samuel shows up. Isn't that the way it always goes? Shows up right after it's happened. And Saul begins to give excuses and tell why I was afraid. And, you know, the men were starting to run and to scatter. And he's chastised by Samuel. And he's uh, severely uh, chastised. And then we go to chapter 14 and then to chapter 15. In chapter 14, Saul makes a, a rash decision when they're in battle and tells his men, look, you need to wait and not eat or drink anything today until we finish this particular battle. It was a ridiculous thing to tell men who were going out into war to not eat or drink anything, but that's what he did. It was a rash decision. And his son Jonathan didn't know about it. So Jonathan has something to eat. And Saul, who has made this ridiculous comment and who has already been unfaithful in, in another way that's much more, uh, much more severe, according to God's Word, he's eaten. And so Saul thinks, okay, I'm going to be self-righteous and... I'm going to have to have Jonathan killed. But luckily some men step up and say, you're not going to do that. Jonathan has been faithful and he didn't know. And then we get to chapter 15. And here's where we'll read today. Here's where we'll discover a lot of the character of Saul. Here's where we'll see our message about self-deception. Self-deception. There are two truths I think we need to understand when we come to see this story and we understand, really, this is, this is the truth of the gospel right here. We are much more self-consumed and sinful and self-deceived than we ever thought possible. We're much more sinful and self-deceived than we ever thought possible, than we could really ever imagine. That's a truth of the gospel and it's a truth of this story right here. But secondly... We are more loved and accepted by God than we could ever imagine. That's the good news of the gospel. So here's King Saul. He has had a lot of success. He's done very well, but it's begun to deceive him. He's self-deceived, so to speak. And many of us can relate to that. I was reading an article this week, and I, I love this. I've, I've seen it before a couple of times. And uh, it goes like this. It said, in 1977, a fish merchant named Lee Lance tra traveled to Chile and discovered the toothfish. The toothfish was thought to be too oily by locals to eat, and it just had a bad name, and nobody ever wanted to eat it. So it was basically a throwaway fish. But he decided to do this. He decided to rename it and market it here in America. You know what he renamed it? 
Chilean sea bass. Now it's one of the most popular seafoods on the menu. The Canadians developed uh, an oil from this certain plant that they recognized could be used for cooking and other purposes. And, but the, the plant was called the rapeseed plant. Just wasn't a good marketing piece whatsoever. So they decided to change the name to canola oil. Now virtually every one of us have it on our shelf, don't we? California, the prune board realized that prune and laxative were, uh, were completely linked and you just couldn't do anything to change people's minds and their sales were going down. So what did they do? They remarketed it and called it dried plums and sales went up 300%. Still prunes, but we're calling them dried plums now and people want them. How about this one? Frida Kaplan, an American producer imp imported, had, had, a, had a, a fruit called the gooseberry, the Chinese gooseberry. Nobody's buying the Chinese gooseberry. She decides to change it to the kiwi fruit. Now we all put it in our salads for picnics. And then the last one. There was a bony fish known as the dolphin fish, unrelated to the mammal, but diners just wouldn't buy it. They got to the point where they're all afraid they're going to be eating flipper. And so what happens? They change it to mahi-mahi. Most popular fish sold outside of catfish and salmon. Mahi-mahi. We eat it all the time. It's the same fish. What is it? You know what? Yeah, I know what it really is, but I don't want to know. <laughs> I, I, I understand, but you know, just put a new name on it. And, and some of that's good. Some of that's okay. We literally will change our taste according to the image, according to the name. But sometimes, if we're not careful, we'll change our values according to the name and according to the image, if we're not careful. And that's exactly what we see happening in the life of King Saul here. Self-deception. I was reading through the paper, and I noticed article after article of people who, uh, one lady here who who was driving drunk and got in an accident and killed a 16-year-old girl. Now she's looking at 10 to 40 years in prison. I see another one of someone who is human trafficking. And, and can I tell you this? I, I know what happened. They didn't just wake up and go, I'm going to go get drunk and I'm going to drive and if I kill somebody, I don't care. I promise she didn't think that. Matter of fact, she's completely repentant and remorseful. Do you know what she did? I can handle it. I'm okay. Started to drive. I've, I've done this before. I'm in control. She deceived herself into thinking she was okay. Human trafficking. How do you get there? You don't just at 12 go, one day I think I want to traffic humans. I mean, you don't do that. You start and you deceive yourself with one sin and then another and then another and then another. And you build up an immunity to conviction. Our capacity for self-deception is amazing when you stop and think about it. And we're going to see that's true in the life of King Saul. One who started out so well but ended so tragically. The same thing can be true of us if we're not careful. We can start well, but through self-deception, we can take a mighty fall. We've seen it, whether it be Enron or politics, whatever the case. People seem to start off well, but if they're not careful, through self-deception, we can take a mighty fall. Matter of fact, I would say it in this manner. Self-deception is not the worst sin that you could commit. But self-deception is the reason we commit the worst sins that we could commit. Because we start to compare and say, I'm better than them. It's not that big a deal. It's not that bad. Let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 15, beginning with the 7th verse. <clears throat> and God right here, just previously, has 
commanded that Saul go and wipe out the Amalekites. Now, if we had time, we'd go through all the possible theories on why this is occurring. Bottom line, this is what God has asked Saul to do. Uh, We know the Amalekites have been around for 400 years attacking the nation of Israel. Matter of fact, when they were going through Egypt, they were literally terrorizing, literally as terrorists. They were picking off the weak and the young and the sick and the lame, and they were killing them every chance they had as they journeyed through the desert. And we see this going on for literally hundreds of years. Matter of fact, some theologians say it was the expressed purpose of the Malachite people uh, to exterminate uh, the nation of Israel. So God has been merciful uh, for 400 years. The people have uh, existed and continued in that spirit uh, of attacking and terrorizing. And finally, God has had enough. And he tells the nation of Israel, he tells Saul, I want you to go and attack him. I want you to wipe him out. And that's where we pick up right there. As a matter of fact, it's interesting. Let me just say this real quickly. Um, he's going to tell them to do this. This is a, a cause of justice. That's what's occurring right here. And this is from God. It's not from man. And God tells him, I don't want you to capitalize. I don't want you to profit one penny. I want you to get rid of all the precious metals. I want you to get rid of all the, uh, all the livestock, which would have been the commodity of that day. I want you to get rid of it. I want you to dispose of everything. You're not going to take any slaves. You're not going to profit at all from this action. And, and I think this is a text, by the way, that we could look at in, in the issue of war. When is a war just? Well, when it is just when we don't profit from it. When we are doing it just for that sake, for justice sake, and for the protection of human life. But most wars are not fought for that. Most wars are imperialistic. If you look around the world, most of the time we're trying to get land, we're trying to get a commodity, whatever it is, most wars are engaged for that purpose when you look at war. But in this instance, God is saying, you know what? You're not going to be like the other nations. I don't want you to become imperialist. I want you to trust me. And you will only go to war when I tell you to go to war, and it will be for the cause that I deem as just. And so that's where we pick up here, as God has spoken to Saul, and as he issues this decree against the Amalekites. And then Saul attacked the Amalekites all the way from Havilah to Shur, in the east of Egypt. And he took Agag of the Amalekites alive, and all his people he totally destroyed by the sword. Now, first of all, we see right here that Saul is not being obedient. He takes the king as a trophy. That was a common practice. I'm going to take him as a trophy. It's a, an ego feed, and that's exactly what he does. But then he destroys the others with a sword. But Saul and the army spared Agag and the best of the sheep, the cattle, the calves, the lambs, and everything else that was good. So everything that's good, we're going to keep. See, they've almost become like the Amalekites. They're almost doing the same mentality. We're going to get rid of everything that's weak, and we're going to get rid of everything that's despised, but we'll keep everything else. So now they're profiting. Now it's the antithesis of what God desired of this. And so, what occurs? It says, these things he was unwilling to destroy, but everything that was despised and weak he totally destroyed. Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I am grieved that I made King Saul because he has turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel the prophet was troubled and he cried out to the Lord all night. Early in the morning, Samuel got up and went to meet Saul, but he was told, Saul has gone down to Carmel. There he has set up a monument in his own honor 
and turned and gone down to Gilgal. So if we were ever wondering if there was a misunderstanding or uh, was that just an innocent mistake, we see that he's now setting up a monument for himself. You see, God doesn't want him to bask in the glory of war and the war glory of destruction. He's asking him, look, I'm asking you to accomplish a mission, and I'm going to accomplish justice here, but what I need for you to do is not profit from it. I don't want anyone looking at it and saying, we're just like the other nations, but in fact, that's what Saul does. And not only that, he makes a monument. He basically has a statue built for himself. Here's King Saul. This is where he whipped the Malachites. And now the glory is all being pointed toward him. Scripture continues here. The Bible says, When Samuel reached him, Saul said, The Lord bless you. I have carried out the Lord's instructions. Isn't that interesting? Samuel's not even said anything to him. And what does Saul go? God bless you. I've done everything God asked. You think he's got a little guilty conscience going on here? Matter of fact, at worst he's lying. At best he's self-deceived and he's still lying. So here's Saul. It's one of those things that he knows, but I don't really want to know. I'm at least going to pretend like I don't know. As a matter of fact, maybe I can believe that I don't. He knows what he's done is wrong. But he starts off. I've done everything God's asked me. And we see Samuel's response. Samuel says, If you've done everything that God has asked you, then what is this I'm hearing in the background? What is the sound of these bleating sheep? What is the sound that I hear of the lowing cattle? Let's just get this straight. You're saying you've done everything that God's told you to do, and yet I hear sheep and cattle in the background. And Saul answers. What does he do? He does what a lot of men do when they're confronted, and a lot of women for that matter. The soldiers, those people, those people you gave me charge of, they brought them from the Amalekites. Now, granted, I'm the chief commander, and I haven't said or done anything. The soldiers brought them from the Amalekites, and they spared the best of the sheep and the cattle to sacrifice to the Lord your God, but we totally destroyed everything else. Yep, we kept the best, but everything else we've gotten around. And matter of fact, they did it, by the way. They did it. I didn't actually you know, go over there and lead any of those sheep myself. So they did it. Tell me, Saul. And Samuel says, let me tell you what the Lord has told me. And Saul said, please tell me. And Samuel said, although you were once small in your own eyes... Did you not become the head tribe of Israel? And this is a direct reference back to 1 Samuel 9.21 when Samuel confessed out of his mouth that uh, we are of the smallest tribe when he gave his humble confession. And the Lord anointed you king over Israel. And he sent you on a mission saying, Go and completely destroy those wicked people of the Amalekites and make war on them until they're wiped out. Why did you not obey the Lord? Why did you pounce on the plunder? And right here, he's exposing, Samuel is exposing Saul's true motive. You've pounced on the plunder and do evil in the eyes of the Lord. And what does Saul do? He's still in denial. What does he say? But I did obey. You know, it's almost like you're talking to a six-year-old right here. Did you clean your room? I, I did. We go in there and there's stuff all over the floor and there's this and that and there's clothes and the bed's unmade. And um, I did. So I, I, there was there was a game right here, and I put it up. I did what you asked. I mean, it's almost like a child at this point. And some of us haven't matured 
a lot past that. And, and obviously Saul has it. Saul said, but I, I did. I did obey. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back King Agag. That right there tells me you didn't completely. And the soldiers took the sheep and the cattle, and the best was devoted to God. Now he's going to manipulate. He's trying to spin it. He says, and we're going to sacrifice it in order that we might bring a sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Now, what's interesting to me, do you notice who he says, the Lord your God? At least subconscious. Consciously, he's convicted. He's recognizing something's not right. So he goes, Samuel, you're God. Matter of fact, Samuel, we're going to have a great worship service and you can be a part of it. We'll have sacrifices. I mean, you're the prophet and the priest and you'll be up here and this is going to be a great time. It'll be really God honoring and good thing I brought all this stuff back. See him manipulating it? Trying to spin it? And Samuel replied, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? as much as obeying the voice of the Lord. I mean, we get that, don't we? You know, we've all had our children who we've asked to do something, they get in big trouble and they come take us a note. I love you. You know, and that's supposed to excuse everything that they've ever done. And sometimes it does. Uh, But the reality of it is we see right through them and we recognize, okay, I know what you're doing here. That does not excuse you. You still don't get to beat your brother up, okay? To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. He's not saying that we don't, uh, have, we don't make sacrifices. He shouldn't have. He's saying, but without your obedience, without the heart, without the purity of the heart, it doesn't matter. For rebellion is the sin of divination and arrogance like the evil of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, After all of this, by the way, now he says, I've sinned, I've violated the Lord's command and your instruction, but he's still not taking full responsibility. But I was afraid of the people. I was afraid. I'm taller, I'm bigger, I'm an authority, I'm the king. But, you know, they were saying, why can't we bring this? So, all right, I listened to them. I presumed upon the mercies of God. I felt like God would forgive me and He would understand and everything would be fine. I didn't think He'd really do anything. I thought we'd be okay here. I was afraid of the people and I gave it to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said, I will not go back with you. You've rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you as king of Israel. As Samuel turned to leave, Saul caught a hold of the hem of his robe and it tore. And Samuel said, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to one of your neighbors who is better than you. He who is the glory of Israel does not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. And Saul replied, I have sinned, but please honor me. Still about me. He's still not broken over his sin. He's still looking for honor before the elders of the people and before Israel. Come back with me so that I may worship the Lord your God. Saul has become so incredibly self-deceived that he doesn't even recognize what he's doing. A good man gone bad because he begins just a little and then more and then more, thinking, I can get away with it. His idol now has become the power and the status and the authority. I can get away with it. And then when he's confronted... He's probably not used to anyone other than Samuel. 
confronting him, I'll just spin it. I can get away with this. I can do it. So what do we see that leads to Saul's downfall? How do we see a good man who's very likable become a tyrant, an abusive king, a liar, a man who seeks to kill those who have served him? Well, started off through disobedience. And then he presumed upon the mercies of God that it would be okay and God will take care of it and God will look the other way. He became self-consumed by pride. He began to lie. And then when his lies didn't work, he would deny and try to manipulate. And then he did the classic projection, the psychological term, which simply is a big word for blame shift. Put it somewhere else. Let me put it here, put it there, put it on them and not receive responsibility. Which ultimately meant a lack of pure repentance. You're sorry you got caught, Saul. You're sorry for what you will lose. You're not sorry for what you have done. You've deceived yourself into thinking that you are in control and that you can do whatever you want. You know, as we read those stories of people who've made bad choices in the in the newspaper, every once in a while, you'll even see one who will justify it by their religion. And they'll justify it in that manner. And you almost see Paul doing I mean Saul doing that. We're gonna meet we're gonna have sacrifices and then we'll worship the Lord. And it's almost that same mentality of I've met people and known people who they'll give a lot or serve a lot or help a lot. But there's something else that's just desperately wrong. They're stealing or they're in an affair or whatever the situation and hopefully that I'm making up for it here and I'm covering it. And that's, a, that's an incident right there where God is saying, I would rather you obey. I'd rather you be faithful and honest and pure than your sacrifices. It's not that God didn't want our sacrifices, but He wants a pure heart more than He wants our sacrifices. We basically make them repulsive to Him when we don't address the things that God is asking us to do in His most basic nature. So what am I to do? What about when I offend someone? What about when I wrong someone? How am I to handle it? Saul shows us what not to do. Here's what we need to do. First of all, we need to admit the offense and confess it without excuse. Not give our excuses, not give our commentary. Just say, I'm wrong and I'm without excuse. Recognize the pain and hurt and express regret over the pain that you've caused. And then ask for forgiveness. Ask to be forgiven. And then seek to rectify and make amends. Quit doing what you've done. Saul was given this opportunity. He's already messed up the whole sacrificial system one time in chapter 14. And now here's another opportunity in chapter 15 where Saul's given another chance. And basically to offer this as a sacrifice. And he doesn't do it. He does it his way. He does it for his own benefit. Self-deception. Well, I'm, I'm better than most of the people around here. I'm doing better than this neighbor or that neighbor. I'm sure a better guy than they are. I'll give you a little confession here. This is a phone that I got, I think, about a little over a year ago. And about six months, nine months ago, I can't remember how long ago it was, I lost it. And so I had insurance on my phone. 
So I decided, okay, I'm so glad I got insurance. I'm going to go and file my little insurance claim. So I call them, and they say, that's right, you do have insurance, and we will replace that phone. I said, good. They go, that'll be $125 for your replacement fee. $125? I thought I had insurance. You do. And, but let me tell you, sir, if you bought that phone right now, it'd be $400. So this is a really good deal. Well, then I find out, plus there's a $18 uh, for their SIM card connection. Then there's tax. I walk into the store, and I notice this phone is on sale for $150. Man, I'm after I got done, it's like $149.73 or something. I go, let me get this straight. I got insurance. I've been paying like 7 or $8 a month for insurance. And, but with my insurance, I have to pay $125. Yes, sir, that's $125. That's a, that's a good phone you got there. And, um, but I have to pay this to get the phone. Yes, sir, you have to do that. And now I have to pay another $18, yes, and taxes. And this phone right here is on sale for $150. Well, that's if you're a new customer or if you're renewing your contract. I, go, I want to renew my contract. You can't. You're, you're not there. So what I do, I want, to, I want to get out of this contract. Well, that'll be $400. And I am so mad. I don't know what to do. But I paid for this silly insurance. So give me the phone. So I walk out, paid for the phone twice. Well, you know what happens. About two months ago, I find the phone. So I call up there and I go, you know, here's the deal. I found my phone. I want to know, can I come up there and get my money back now? Nope. Can't get your money back. I want to give it back to you. I mean, you're selling, no. 75, nope. I'm going to give you anything for it. Okay, but I get to keep the phone. Nope. <laughs> got to give it back. I got to give it back. I just paid for it twice. What I got to give it back? You signed a contract said that if you ever found it, you bring it back. You got to be kidding me. Nope. Got to bring it back. So I thought about it for a few days. I got to thinking, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm not, I'm not going to use it. I'm going to keep it. This is a replacement phone. I'm going to have it in my glove box. And if I ever need to replace it, I'll replace it. So that's what I'm going to do. I think that's all right. Because I think I've already paid for this phone twice. So I paid for the replacement and I paid for this. And so I told myself that was okay, and I believed it. And that's pretty good. I still think they're wrong, by the way, just in case you want to know. Sorry if you work for the phone company. <clears throat> and so I've thought about it a couple times. And, and then somebody else in our church needed a phone. They lost their somebody else in our staff, so I let them use it for two weeks. So then I broke my little oath that I wasn't going to use it. So I've stepped up, but that's okay. I'm not using it. The people are. I'm not using it. And then I'm preparing this message this week, and I start praying. And I just realize, the phone. Thinking, God, I paid for that phone. Yeah, but you also signed a covenant that you would give it back. And you, know what, you know what the deal is. You're going to have to let them rip you off. <laughs> so, so I'm telling you, because I've got to take this phone back this week. I'm going to let them rip me off and give it back to them, okay? And I'm not even going to do it with a good attitude. Well, you can pray that I have a good attitude. <laughs> Nevertheless... Self-deception. I'm, I'm pretty good at it. I know you're encouraged. You probably visit and you say, what is this? I'm not coming back here. Uh, and I struggle with things like this all the time, just to be honest with you. But I, I'm pretty good at deceiving myself into thinking it's okay. You know, the minister. And if I do it, I bet you, you do it too. And we can justify it. We can work on it and make it okay. And, and value what we think it's best for us over our integrity, over our word.
over our honor. So when we pick on Saul, we're not that much different than him, are we? And and if I do that, then I can do something else. And I can do a little more, and I need a little more. And then I'm over here, and I'm the person who didn't think it was that big a deal. I was drinking and driving, and I killed someone because I thought I could handle it. I thought it was okay. I've done it before. I got away from it before. I got away with it before. And you think it's okay. What about you this morning? You know, this also this also is true spiritually. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ. You think, I'm a good guy and I'm going to be okay. I mean, I'm just going to presume upon the mercies of God and God will take care of me. I'm sure He'll forgive me. He's a good God. and I try to be a good person. I'm okay. Maybe you're here this morning and there's something that you're addicted to or there's a sin that you're right in the middle of. You think, i got control. I'm going to be okay. It's not that bad. It's going to be all right. It's self-deception. Self-deception isn't the worst sin, but it's what causes us to sin at our worst. What about you this morning? What are you deceiving yourself over? Let's pray. Father, God, I thank You for exposing the wickedness of my own heart, the self-deception that is so real in my life that I deal with every day. And Lord, I ask for forgiveness. Lord, I pray this morning that You would speak to hearts. Those, Father, who have never trusted You, who have never come to that place where they've admitted that they're sinners, they need forgiveness, and committed their life to You and received Your grace by faith. Lord, I pray that that self-deception would end this day, that You would convict them of their need to receive You as Savior today. For those, Father, who are trapped in the snares of sin, Lord, that is destroying them from inside. God, I pray that the self-deception would end today and they would confess and recognize their need for You. Lord, I pray that we would grow in community. The importance of us being in small groups and Bible study and, and in community and accountability with one another so that people may speak into our lives and express truth and not allow us to be self-deceived. Lord, for those men and women who need to be discipled in the basic tenets of the faith, God, I pray that You draw them that beyond the fact that they think, I'm, I'm okay, I'm in good shape. God, I pray today that You would speak to each of us and we would be found as humble and we would be found as needing and confessing our need for Your grace and forgiveness. Lord, we thank You for this time. And we ask all these things according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Amen.